This is the Made It in Music Podcast. I'm Seth Mosley, and this is Show 152. Welcome to the podcast, where we bring you tools and resources to help you go full-time in music and to stay in. The music business is a roller coaster ride, changing faster than any of us can pay attention to. We all need a competitive edge to stay ahead and to stay successful. What's working, what isn't, and what's coming? That's exactly what this show is all about. Back again with Full Circle Music, the Made It in Music podcast. What's up? This is Seth Mosley. You are with me on the Made It in Music podcast, and today we've got an awesome one. We have my dear friend Allison Veltz Cruz, who is a phenomenal songwriter, phenomenal human being, phenomenal mom. Just celebrated her first number one single with... Matt Stell's song, Prayed For You, one of my favorite songs that's come out in the past several years, and we're going to dive into the story of that. But before we get into the meat of the interview, if you're listening to this podcast, that probably means that you're interested in songwriting. And at Full Circle Music, we spent months creating the best songwriting resource available on the market. It's a premium online course called Song Chasers. It covers every possible aspect of songwriting in depth, from ideas and inspiration to lyrics to melody to demos to publishing. We even featured tons of major guest artists and songwriters to help teach songwriting for specific genres. If you're interested, go to fullcirclemusic.com and click on Academy. Again, that's fullcirclemusic.com. Click on Academy, and you'll see the course right there. It's the best resource we've ever created for songwriters, and we hope you check it out. So today, let's jump into our interview with Allison Veltz-Cruz. Thanks for being here with us today. Oh, thank you for having me. How are you, how are you holding up in quarantine? Um, it's gone through a little bit of, you know, it's gone through its phases. Um, we kind of caught a stride recently, um, which has been nice. I have a seven year old and so we, and she is, we actually just found out yesterday that she is, she left, uh, first grade on March 11th for the rest of the year. And she's not going back until second grade, which was, it's just interesting. I've gotten kind of into the homeschooling thing and, um, we're kind of getting into it over here. So it's, it, it's been a great, honestly, a great bonding uh, experience for my family to have all the extra time together. We won't go down this sidebar, but are you guys moving towards homeschooling as a result of this? Um, no. Okay. <laughs> Fair enough. We're, we're definitely, that's definitely what we're going to do. Um, no way. Really? Yeah. We're kind of, we were kind of sad. My, my daughter, she's younger. She's five years old. And, just same same deal yesterday they just announced hey you're not going back to school so she's in pre-k she doesn't get to have her little pre-k graduation which is kind of sad but yeah we're gonna do something with her friends and anyway well that's the thing we have a we have an only right now so um the public school situation is just really good for interaction so we're looking forward to her getting back and playing with playing with other kids and stuff that's the social interaction is huge yeah well, uh, speaking of social interaction and homeschool, how did music, how did music first inspire you? Great segue. <laughs> <laughs> do what I can. Um, how did music first inspire me? Oh my goodness. Um, these are always such interesting questions because I really, uh, I was just so born into the music situation. I don't really remember the first time I sang. Um, 
my my family was the kind of family that was like harmonizing at breakfast um accidentally you know um just all throughout there were always guitars there were always makeshift i lived in a bunch of different places but every single weird place we would live there was always some makeshift studio um with you know equipment that updated through the years um and so music genuinely inspiring me rather than just being something that was around my house i can't remember the moment it was just always it was just always there i have to say though maybe maybe just simply harmony harmony in general i think once i realized that you could sing with someone else a different note and kind of almost bond that way was very inspirational musically. I was like, Oh, this is me making, this is me making music. I'm not, I don't have an instrument, but I'm making a chord with someone else. And that was, that was, a, I, I feel like it all started with harmony. And that was, again, just to, to clarify, you had a family band, right? Was that, yeah. is that what you're meaning? Yes. We eventually became a family band. We, um, we were always musical and I say we, but it was really just, my parents were very musical. And then, uh, we just took, I guess, the show on the road when we went bankrupt and became a band to just make money, which sounds really backwards because most people really, quit. Most people quit their band to make money. If you need to make money, let me tell you the last thing you need to do is start a band. But I mean, it was my, you know, I, I dropped out of high school to do it. And this was my education was in the, uh, in the music, in the music business. That's amazing. So that band actually ended up signing a record deal. Can you, can you tell us a little about that? Like how, how did, how did that turn into a thing? Um, yeah, we ended up signing to Atlantic out of New York and, um, you know, I got kind of, I was young, but I got a front row seat to how it all worked, I guess, accidentally too. I don't, I, I don't think I knew what I was picking up on until, um, much later, uh, especially now working with artists because I'm, I'm not the one on stage anymore. Now I'm just the one behind the scenes. So the personalities and the, and the, the, the stress that an artist goes through, um, being one of, you know, such a large number, even on their own label, trying to compete, you know, am I going to be shelved? And I just understand all those stresses because I was there and I feel like that's, a, I'm fortunate to have that seat so I can have a empathy. Yeah. That, Cause it's not easy. Totally. Well, yeah, it's like, like you said, it is, it's such a backwards thing of like, um, going bankrupt and then start starting a band to, to, to make a living. So, um, I mean, did, what maybe dive a little more into, into that story, like leading up to, you like what what happened sort of between that phase and you moving to Nashville and pursuing it like like you are now um well eventually I left the band um and that happened so then I I just found myself honestly in New York City with no money and no education and the only thing I knew how to do was music and 
So it just, it was like one of those things where, you know, I think a lesson, you know, people give advice, like, you know, you try, try to have no backup plan, even in your mind, you know, be, have your one goal be just the goal and don't have a backup plan. It's like, I really just out of survival, I didn't have that backup plan either. Even if I, it wasn't a mind trick. It was like, I did not have a, I didn't have a plan B. Like it had to be music because it was the only thing I could do. So I ended up in New York city, just working like a ton of jobs, trying to just make, you know, make it survive. And I ended up getting a job at, um, Ellen Stardust Diner and as a singing waitress in Times Square. And so there was, you know, I was singing and I was waiting tables and I was pretty bad at it. Um, the waiting tables were like, I, I have some, I have one receipt that I saved where it, it they, they said worst waitress ever. And I, I don't think, <laughs> I wasn't mean. <laughs> I just, I don't know, maybe got scatterbrained or whatever, but that, uh, that company, Ellen Stardust Diner, you can, you can be okay and make money and be there. So it kind of leveled me out. And at that point I started um, my sister had already moved to Nashville. So I started thinking about Nashville and I wonder what's there for me. And so I started flying myself back and forth and just, you know, but it was just like this weird gravitational pull towards Nashville. Every, um, there were just things that would pop up, you know, my sister obviously being here was a, was, a um, you know, a pull in and in and of itself, but it, all these other things, even disconnected from that, um, would happen. And then I, um, I moved here with $40 left. Um, I paid $80 for a one-way ticket. Um, they lost my luggage on January 4th, 2011 and started my Nashville journey. And I had been so used to, not knowing what was going to happen and not having any guarantee or any consistency that I was almost perfectly prepped to move to Nashville and pursue a career in music. Yeah. You were, you were resourceful by then and had, had already been through, I mean, at that point of 2011, I mean, how, how long had you like, I guess for a living been doing music? I mean, the, the band obviously, was was one phase of that, but like, how old were you when you started all that? You fishing for my age, Seth? I, I'm not. <laughs> I just I just want to give people an idea of like, hey, how, this is people think you know people you get a number one, it's it's an overnight success, but yeah, what, you know, it's overnight usually over a decade or two or whatever. No, it's it is. true. No, I mean, I, I I was 16 when we became a family band. I was in that band for 10 years, and my like my family system, I didn't leave it until I was 26. And then I moved here. That was, um, I mean, I'm, I mean, I'm just, what, should I just say it? Yeah. Well, I mean, if you want, you don't have to. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, anybody could do the math, but like, so what was the question? Like the timing between. Yeah. I, I just, am, I'm just interested. Like, so 2011 was like, you're moved to Nashville. A lot of people moved to Nashville with this hope of pursuing, a music career and that's their starting off point. You already had mm. years of experience. I, I'm just trying to paint the picture that a lot of people don't understand how long it can take oh, to, kind of, yes. to kind of break into the business as right. 
I see what you mean. Writers. So yeah, that's true. I mean, there was there was a there was sort of a foundation also laid of um of people that I knew. Um, but I was so I was 16 and 17 and 18 in that band. So um, like I said before, my education was more accidental. I just had kind of like it was just around me. And so, um, I was picking up on things that later would, I would connect the dots and make sense a little bit later. Um, but you know, yeah, 2000, I mean, it's 2020 and they call this town a 10 year town and it was 10 years on top of my also entire life before, but you know, it doesn't feel like, I think when it's, I don't know how to say this, but like when it's something, you know, you're going to do, you're not really counting the years. It's just something you're doing and every, you know, and there are little, there are many, there, there are a ton of many little successes that maybe aren't the number one song, but they're enough to tell you that you're on the right track mm. and to keep going. Um, Sorry about this light situation. No, you're good. Well, I I, I want to hit on that because that's, you know, there's a lot of people who are out there pursuing this thing. What were some of those signals for you? Like pe- people aren't going to get like a writing on the wall. Typically, I, I you know, I, I think God speaks to d- different people in different ways. And mm-hmm. for, for me, it's not often him being him saying, do this, then do this, then do. This. I think I don't think that's how, you know, things typically happen, at least for me. You know, that's a, it's a tricky conversation because um, there's also a balance because there is, um, I don't know, it's it's really, it's hard to say. Like for you, were, were there, what, what were some of those specific moments or signals? Like, were they somebody that literally like just would say, say, hey, you're, you're, you're doing a good job. Stay on the path. Or like, what, what was it for you? Um, you know, each I'm going to fumble through this because I don't know how it's going to sound. No, it's good. But each um, mile marker in my career, one being the first being signed to a major record label, and that was just a family band. So I didn't have a lot of control over that. But then after that, when I was in New York, you know, I would, I'd have a production team, wanting to sign me to a production deal. I had a, I had a, a publisher sign me to his publishing company and pay me to do that. Um, and I tried that for a minute. I tried to write songs for, for, for that. He also wanted to work with me cause he was a producer, um, in New York. Um, and he was also based out of France. And so I had these, like, I had these things where people, people would want to work with me on paper. Um, and it wasn't, there was no output on my end. I guess that's a good, I'm going to fumble through this, but that's a good sign. If you, if you're, if people want to work with you and think that there's something there and that's a thing that's consistently happening without, without, and you can hustle. I mean, I'm, I get it. Like you can, you can hustle, but without a a, a sense of forcing that to happen, um, that's a good sign, you know, but then also I think you can make them, I think you can make a mountain out of a molehill sometimes with opportunities. 
um, because what you what you I think you can paint what you want out of a situation that is, actually isn't what you want because you want something so bad. Um, I, this isn't a piece of advice, but what I had going for me was sheer survival. I, I, I had, I had to see the opportunities for what they actually were, or it was going to waste my time. If you have a bunch of money, then, and you don't, and you don't, you, you can, you, you can't see the difference between somebody being willing to pay you to work with you. Do you see what I mean by that? It's yeah. Kind of- yeah, yeah if you, definitely. If you see a way of asking a more specific question that I can unfold that in a in a more clear way, just No, I think I think you hit it really well. I mean, it's it's you know, we talk about it at Full Circle Music and the idea in the in the framework of baby steps, like the the baby steps of making a career in music and and yeah, the external validation is a huge part of that of you know, do other people seek you out to work with you or when you work with somebody, do they ask you to do it again? Like, is there quote repeat business for, for lack of a better term, you know? Right. Right. So yeah, yeah I, I think and you hit that a really little good. bit cold about that, um, that process with yourself, because eventually if all things go right, your relationship with your career must be se- separate from your relationship with your identity. And I think that is the biggest, um, that's the that's the hardest part about being in a dream career because it's really hard to view your work and 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 what you're doing coldly enough to see it clearly um because it pinks because you because you remember when you were four years old with a hairbrush in your living room and your whole family loved it and you were singing whatever songs and everybody at school said you were going to be a star and every and your and your uncle said you were going to be a star and and those dreams can can they can they can mess with you and they can manipulate your your sense of reality um, in this actual career that um, isn't about compliment. There's no currency in compliments. There's no there's no. Uh, eventually, it has to lead to dollars and cents, or it doesn't make sense. <laughs> Man, that's that's good. I, I, you should actually trademark that. There's no currency in compliments. What what do you mean by that? Like, di- let's riff on that for a minute. I think that the when you have a dream career and you're and and it's this and and also it's 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 also nurtured by culture. It's the it's American Idol. It's I can stand in a line, and this thing I thought. I just thought, I thought maybe could be a thing. Maybe it actually can be real. And oh my goodness, my dream is coming true. And that, um, I guess what I'm saying, if you don't harness that, that can whip you all the way around this industry and you won't kind of see things clearly when you're, when you're focusing on the dream part of it rather than the, the, the cold reality of, can I make this work? Yeah, that's so good. And another good way of looking at that, one of my favorite books uh, on the business side is is Good to Great by Jim Collins. And he talks about, you know, the Stockdale paradox. It says, retain faith that you will prevail in the end, regardless of the difficulties, and at the same time, confront the most brutal facts of your current reality 
whatever they might be. I love that balance because it sounds impossible, but it's really not, you know, Yeah, it's really not. It's like the American Idol golden ticket. That's a huge compliment, but it also, there's a flight attached to that, to LA to go to the next level. And I think a lot of us can get golden ticket compliments, but it's not connected to, that's what I mean by there's no currency in great job. You know, it feels great, but I, I would be at the diner and I'd sing a song and my, my table would be like, you, you're a star and that would feel great. But you know, I'm, I'm at the diner and I still need to focus on my actual reality. Um, you know? Yeah, totally. I don't want to sound like a downer in any way because it's obviously, it's, it's a beautiful thing to watch your dream come true, you know? Hmm. And there's a faith there, but your relationship with God and what God's doing in your life, um, for anyone who needs to hear this, it's not about music. It's not about just, it's about your heart first and foremost and your relationship with him. And music is just this awesome uh, bonus that he gave to you to hopefully use in the way for, in the way that he wants to, that's the, that's the biggest goal, you know? Yeah, that's so good. Well, I, I want to dive a little more into that. We're going to actually do that in our deep dive because I, I want to hear, and I just think your story of coming to faith that coincides with your music journey is so fascinating. So we're going to, we're going to address that and, and hear that story in our deep dive. If people want to access that, if they're interested, go to madeitmusic.com. The deep dives are all right there. So let's bring it back to today a little bit. You recently celebrated your first number one with prayed for you. Tell us the story behind writing that song. Um, okay. So there's two versions of the story. One um, is like the, the kind of interesting music industry part of that story, which was I played a round at the Bluebird with Jimmy Allen. I was me and Jimmy Allen and Jimmy Allen's um, producer and manager, Ash Bowers was, was at that show. And I played a song that he liked for Jimmy. Um, and so he get, approached me and he talked about that song and whatever. And he said, I just, you know, I really like your writing style. Why don't you write with one of my new artists? So then we set up a write with Matt Stell, his new artist. And um, Matt Stell, though, is my, my sister's husband's cousin. So I've known Matt Stell for, for years. Um, and I wrote with him back in the day, like once. So I get in the room and it's just this kind of interesting came from the bluebird, whatever. And then I, I actually know him and that was fun. So that's the music industry side of it. My personal life. Um, so I was, I found faith later in my life in 2016 and, um, was just felt completely arrested one month by at the time, something mysterious, um, to read the Bible, um, and figure out what was in there. And so I read the Bible. I quit kind of everything. And I read the Bible in a month, um, a month and a half, probably. Wow. But, um, 
you know, I would just read for five hours a day and I did not know what was happening until I got into it. And then I just started, it just started, the truth just started to, um, fix me and change me in in good ways and from the inside out. And so my whole world changed after that in a good way. And I started praying for the first time in my life. And I started journaling those prayers and that was October, 2016. Um, and then May 1st, 2017, um, I got baptized Mm. in my church. And then four days later, I met um, my now husband, Kyle. Wow. And we were set up to sing a song together at a wedding. And um, I just, by May 6th, by the next morning, I um, I just felt like I was going to marry that guy. Um, and then on May 11th, I had a rite schedule, that same rite that was booked with Ash at Bluebird with Matt Stealth. And that morning I was looking through my journals of all of my prayers and I was look, cause I prayed very specifically, I encourage people to pray specifically. Um, cause God's so cool. Like he, he's the God of the details. And I prayed very specifically for a husband, like traits. And I looked at them that morning and I was like, cause that, oh, I'm sorry. That was the, the morning of my first date with my husband. So he asked me out on a date. And that was also the morning that I wrote prayed for you. And I was looking through my journals that morning and I said, this is the dude that I, 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 you're the one I, I prayed for you. You're, you're the one. So then I get this like download of like, wow, maybe this is the song today. And I actually have audio of me recording the, the back half of the chorus and then kind of like, I'm just so obviously crying in the, in the audio. It's really embarrassing. And then I showed up and we wrote that chorus. And I think we all knew what we had um, because it was, it just came from other, it was an, it was a different, it just came from a, another thing, another place. Um, and I just, I don't know. We just knew, we just knew that day. Yeah. So good. I love that story. So I I just, I love it when songs that come from real raw places, I, w- th- there's a thing I've been saying a lot lately that people resonate with what's real. Mm-hmm. And so I love that that ended up becoming a number one. How, how did, what was the story of that on the kind of just, uh, I guess, uh, more tactical side? How did that song end up going number one? So he was developing Matt and he had a bunch of great songs. And, um, I think that they just sort of wanted to, you know, put content out on Matt and just compile these songs that he worked so hard on and prayed for you was one of them. And it was like a five song or six song EP and they just put it on Spotify. And, um, you know, the, the, um, the dream, kind of the dream scenario happened where just uploading it all of a sudden people you could you could tell there was just a very um people would zero in on that song and they would um take it for their own and they would play it at their weddings and they would say this is mine this I want this for my story this this is I want to weave this into um the people in the the people that I've prayed for in my life uh 
babies. I, I know that, that my, my best friend tried to have a baby for eight years and when she first heard the song, cause she finally had it. Now she has two beautiful children and she, she, and she first heard the songs like, this is what I prayed for. This is the you that I prayed for. And this is the you that I prayed for. So that, um, that started to happen just on Spotify, just on, with no playlists, just the amount of streams was compelling enough to, to think, um, about what they wanted to do further with that song. And then, um, and then Barry Weiss, uh, my, 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 uh, this is going to be, this might be a little bit too much detail, I think, because. No, jump, jump in. I, I love it. I love the details. Um, so my manager that I used to have in New York city, her name is Randy Rosano and she has been angel champion for me. You got to have those. You have to have them. I have two, um, Derek Simon, and Randy Rosano. They have been with me from the beginning. And, um, when nothing was going on, they've kept with me. So Randy heard prayed for you and she loved it. She sent it to Barry Weiss over in New York. So it went from Nashville to LA to New York. Barry flipped out over it and he contacted Ash and ended up, um, you know, really connecting there. Um, they've, since started a venture and, um, they're, they're still in business together, which is wonderful. And, um, he was like, I want to sign this kid. And so Matt was signed to records, which is a Sony, which a Sony imprint. Um, and that's how he got, he got a record deal. And then they got, uh, they got a plan in place to, to take it to terrestrial radio. Um, country radio and they, they killed it. I mean, the whole team just absolutely killed it. I mean, it went through a couple of different teams and I, I'm not, I'm not even totally sure what the complete details personnel wise, but it, I know it changed. Um, but all, all the while, while that was happening, that same sense where people were, people were collaborating with the um, machine of the music industry. It was always the people and it just, just drive that song. Cause they, because the, um, they felt something in the song that they could take on their own. And so, but just, it, it was also a feat of um, like a C it was, it's a sea biscuit story because it's a brand new artist and um, the team that was set in place and Ash Bowers and uh, Barry Weiss, like just they, their plan, their plan was amazing. It was yeah. so cool to watch because all I did, I didn't have to do any of that. <laughs> <It's> great. <laughs> I was just like looking at the chart going, wow, look at this little, the little song that could. Well, after, yeah, it's, that's the thing that I don't think a lot of people realize is for songwriters, after you write it, there's not a whole lot you can do to influence the process on that. Oh, but I tried. <laughs> hey, and if you have any ways that works, feel free to let me know. <laughs> when I was an artist, I was um, signed to Blaster Records here in Nashville when I first moved here. And one of my radio regionals, poor thing, ended up to be Matt's radio regional. Or <laughs> and so I was like texting him just like, for information that he, he his like, I have no business asking for. And I was like, <laughs> Oh man, that's yeah. fun. 
I love it. You so, don't have to influence, but you can sure try. Yeah, you can try. Exactly. Yeah, you can try. Well, I mean, the fact that, you know, it's interesting for me to hear that, you know, Barry Weiss, obviously that's a very good champion to have in your corner. I mean, we're always talking about find your champion, how important that is. Um, it's interesting to me oftentimes nowadays that if you get somebody who has a track record of success like Barry Weiss, if he hears a song and puts his stamp of approval on it, then everybody kind of has to fall in line with that. They don't have to. It's, it's got, still got to be a good song. But I've seen that happen. Not not going to name any specific cases, but I've seen that happen where some executive from New York has called, you know, Nashville office and said, "This is a hit. You you cannot miss this one." And so that's that's interesting that that was a little bit of the case here too. Yeah, because ultimately that's you know that's um, indicative of his hard work that his stamp of approval could flick that kind of a domino. Um, that's what, you know, that's what he worked so hard for is that if he says, then people kind of follow that. That's a yeah. very cool, that's a cool thing. Cause you work for that influence too. Yeah. So, um, we talked about it a little bit before we started recording, but you're kind of coming to the realization now, and you're, you're one of the rare, rare people in Nashville now who are purely songwriters like you're not you're not a producer writer you're you're a you're a songwriter though i think you have a lot of great production instincts and you could do that at some point if you wanted to but i don't know the knobs seth hey that's okay but but you're you're what what a lot of people would call a top liner like you come in your focus is the lyric it's the melody and you're one of the rare people that's actually making a living doing that now mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. a lot of that has to do with you understanding the power of writing for singles. So can you speak a little bit to that? What, what we kind of talked about before we, we started recording, why are singles so important for songwriters? Um, yeah, that's a great question because I think it, it's always, it always comes down to, cause there's a danger when you go to one side or to the other, if you're, it, if you, the singles I'm in the country format. I'm a country songwriter here in Nashville. So there's, there's that, there's just the fact. So then I can look at the format and, um, you know, I think it's important not to contradict the format. And I also think it's important to not follow it. So to a T that you're just, um, losing all sense of art. So there's that weird balance of, of, you know, you, um, you want it to reach multiple people. You want the, you want the girl who is dropping off her kids at soccer and it's loud in the backseat to hear a lyric coming through. That's obvious enough that it could actually, you know, improve her day, make her feel something, make her smile. Um, but you also don't want to just listen to the radio so much that you're just simply following a formula, unless you, unless you want to, and that's cool. But that's the balance I've tried to find is that, um, if I'm writing a song, I want, I want everyone to be able to digest it and feel it. And then, but at the same time, like, I'm going to fumble through this too, because I have a song out right now with, um, a very good friend of mine, Ross Ellis, and, um, it's called by and by. And, that song 
is to me and to us that day was just pure art. I mean, we, we bled that song that day. It was coming from a completely real place. It's this completely real story. And no one in the room was necessarily going, wait a minute, should we structure this chorus to be a little bit more radio friendly? Does it need to be this to be more radio? Nobody was thinking about that, but there was something, and there's something so pure about the song that just the, that spoke to people enough um, to have it you know, be a number one on Sirius XM and then get him his record deal. And, um, they're going to put it out on radio, country radio. So it's balanced. It's weird. Yeah. Well, I, I would, I would play the devil's advocate to what you said too, that I think you've done it for so long that we, we talk about this idea of the hit song formula and I am actually of the belief that there is one. I think there is one to it, to an extent. I think you, having done it for so long instinctively do what works like you you know what works like you 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 don't walk in and say let's make an intro that's 20 minutes long and then let's start with the chorus and then we'll sing the chorus four times and then we'll do the bridge and like you you have this you have the sense of of formula within within you and then it's once you've mastered that that's when the art can kind of kick in right that's yeah, that's a great point. So that's a great point. Can you talk a little bit about is there a way you know how 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 can songwriters strategically think about writing or targeting singles if if that's even a possibility? Um I would say um as long as there as long as we have radio which, you know, the rumor mill is we don't know how much longer whatever I don't know how much longer, but as long as we have radio, radio is not Spotify. Radio is radio and listen to it. You know, that's really my, just listen with the format you're in, listen to the radio of the format that you're in and, um, you know, over and over and over and over again, especially like the sweet spot is you just like it. And that's why you're listening to it. That's, I mean, I, I've listened to the radio by choice my whole life. I love the radio. I love popular music, top 10. It was par- partly because my family was so broke. We never bought albums. We just listened to what was, <laughs> what was in the car on the radio. So, um, but, you know, just the, what is on the radio is what, uh, if you think about all the teams and all the artists in play, they have so many songs. Like I promise you, they wrote so many songs, every single artist and every single song you hear on the radio, there's, there's a team and there are songs all surrounding that artist, but they picked that one. They picked that one to be on the radio. So why, what is it about it? What's the common thread? Even if one doesn't sound anything like the other, I mean, you can take that from pop to country too. Like what's the common feeling what's the common thread you can you can weave through this and try to get your hand on the needle somehow i love that that's that's a great that's a that's a really great way to put it and i think the thing you inferred there or you said without saying it is for people who are at the beginning you got to pick a format in the first place you can't be trying to be the country writer and the pop writer and the film and tv writer and the so on and so forth writer you have to kind of pick a lane I'll say that from also from 
from experience of doing the opposite of trying to do the opposite, I've definitely come to that as well to just make sure you're focused because it's hard enough, um, to make it work. Um, my first, my first single, it was a pop song in 2012 that came out and it was, it was J-pop. It was a Japanese pop song. It went number one and, um, it was just totally pop, but I didn't even really, it was like one of my first co-writes wasn't really trying for that format, but it happened. It was great. But since then, because of that, I was then, then I'm in Nashville and then this J-pop thing comes out. So, you know, which thing do I go to? I'll do some LA trips and I'll try, I'll try to dabble pop here and then I'll try to do country here. And, um, I'm not saying it's not going to work for somebody like it, it totally may, but for me, diluting my focus, um, I don't know if it slowed the process because I got a lot of education in the meantime, but diluting the focus was um, maybe it did slow the process because once I decided to focus on country, just country, things started rolling. Yeah. I would wager that once you made that decision, things, things kind of started heading in, in, in a, in a unstoppable direction, which, which you're on now. So as we're kind of wrapping up, I'd love just your advice for songwriters in our audience who are maybe at the beginning of the of their career in year one or two of their ten year town journey. If they specifically want to be a top liner, this is what you have a black belt experience in. If they want to be a top liner, what are some of the challenges they might face, and what are some of the opportunities that they should look for? Mm. Well, opportunities would be to find um, people like yourself, Seth, um, people that are producers and track people, people that produce tracks in a writing scenario that really, that you love. You love what they do and that they inspire you lyrically and then really stick with those camps, um, of people because, um, because you kind of, you need, you need to team up. If you're, if you're just top line, you, you definitely need a team. So it's, it's always good to think, um, more than you're thinking of this publisher, this opportunity, whatever, think about the team writing wise that you're building around you. Cause as, like I said, as, as a top liner, you, um, it's imperative that you have a team because you're not a one man band. Um, so finding those, finding the, the people that are not redundant to what you do, meaning another top line, another top line person, finding the people that complete that situation, getting your hand, even if it's a brand new artist that has nothing going on, get your hand on an artist and a track guy that you really love and then be that top line and see what that little with what that mix can do and just keep on doing that over and over and over again. Um, and then what was the other question? Well, yeah, some of the challenges, I guess. I mean, if, if, if they, if they want to be a top liner, what are some of the challenges with, with trying to pursue that angle? Um, man, I hate to dodge the question, but <laughs> man, it's just all, it's all challenging. All of it. You know, it's, it's challenging to, um, 
to find the team. It's challenging to find the publisher that um, is the, an actual champion, not just um, not just even a publisher. It's challenging to. Um, I mean, do you, are you talking about creatively or like in the business? Could be all of the above. Yeah. And you definitely hit on some some of them. I mean, it, obviously, finding the champion is, I, I would argue, probably close to the top of the list. You know, that's an opportunity, but it's also the biggest challenge. Yeah. So, yeah. So you've got to have that. So, um, man, I think that's a great answer, and we'll we'll kind of wrap it up at that. Once again, we are going to do a deep dive on uh, Allison Velt's cruise and her journey to faith. Once again. Made it music.com. You can go there and you can access all the deep dives. Once again, just a final reminder before we sign off today um, head over to fullcirclemusic.com. Check out our academy button if you're interested in learning to write commercial songs. We've got the Song Chasers course up there. Do yourself a favor, check it out, do a little perusing, and we will see you on the next podcast.